We turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 6. The book of Acts, chapter 6. I doubt either Dr. Tim, and I certainly know myself, had no idea with the sermons preached last Lord's Day, the week that we would have just experienced within this nation. But it certainly served as preparation for the week, did it not? That we live under assault of the great dragon. That we live with war. We're seeing that evidenced more and more clearly ever since the events of this week. And it will, brothers and sisters, only get worse. On the other hand, it is a reminder that we need to be careful, we need to be circumspect. God's word states, bad company ruins good morals. It's a lesson to teach to your children. It's a reminder for you as teenagers. But this week, hopefully it is a reminder to us as adults. We need to be careful. And we need to make sure that those that we associate with love, honor, respect our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we understand what it is that we are called to as believers in Jesus Christ. We are never called to violence. We are never called to injury. We are never called to theft. God does not approve. I almost feel like saying, if you are of that mindset and you are a member of this congregation, you do not belong in the church of Jesus Christ. What we saw on display was sin. And it came from the dragon. On both sides, understand Understand the times in which we live. That the dragon will use all that is at his disposal to attack the church of Jesus Christ. And I think that great dragon has a good sense of smell. And his sense of smell is one that says, I'm sensing now's the time to strike. That means it calls us to be planted firm in Christ. The onslaught against the church of Jesus Christ, we haven't seen anything yet. We need to band together. We need to hold together.
not in what we saw this past week. But we need to band together in Jesus Christ. The only banner that flies over you and I is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we relinquish that, if we turn that down, then all the good that we would seek to do, all the good is going to blow up in our face. Bad company ruins good morals. There's no doubt in my mind there were a lot of good people there. Lots of good people. But bad company ruins. Kids, teenagers, that's why your parents are always wanting to know who you're going with. Who are you hanging out with? Who are you spending this Friday night with? Because we know our own hearts. We know our own hearts. We saw good people get caught up in sin because of bad company. We need to teach that to our children. We need to teach it to ourselves. We need to be careful how we speak. And we need to be faithful to Christ in all of our calling. Amen? Amen. So, God, in his wisdom, in his planning, in his sovereignty, said, I have a way for the church to minister in the midst of some very hard and difficult times. As persecution began to come upon the church, God says, I have a way to deal with this. Now, the church didn't realize it. A problem had to emerge within their own body. And once the problem emerged, God gave the wisdom as to how to deal with the problem so that they could be faithful in the midst of persecution. So you may look at this and say, oh, it's another sermon on deacons. No. This is a sermon about what is needed as the church of Jesus Christ today in our world, at this moment, at this time, at this point in history. What we need are deacons. Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Aramaeus, 
Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word that you have put before us. We pray that it is a timely, it is meaningful, and that you will help us to learn through this. We pray that you will be with Pastor Bob as he explains this word to us. As we dive deeper into it, in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Before we begin looking at this office of deacon and the office of elder this morning briefly, some of you may be sitting thinking, well, why do some people get to have such a special job? The answer to that is this. You have a greater calling. You have a greater office. Let me read to you from Lord's Day chapter 12. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, our only high priest, who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance he has won for us. So, Christ is anointed. He is anointed as prophet, priest, and king. Next question. But why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ, and so I share in his anointing. We laid hands upon these two men this morning. Beautiful thing to do. It's a biblical thing to do. We, we, I hope you caught that in Acts chapter 6. But you know what's even greater than, than being in an office where elders lay their hands upon you? It's being anointed. And you've been anointed. Why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name and present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks. To strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life. And afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. Christ is anointed as prophet, priest, and king. We share in the anointing of Christ. As a believer, you are called to that office. You are called to the office of believer and you were set apart by that office, not by a laying on of hands, but by an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Your office is the office of prophet, priest, and king. So never look at it and say, well, I, you know, I'm not a deacon, I'm not an elder, I'm a nothing. No. The anointing you have is, in effect, superior 
to what you saw take place today. We don't anoint these men. We lay hands upon them. You have been anointed. And yet God in his wisdom, as I mentioned before, has given to us these offices. And so this morning we want to look at three things, or two things, three, excuse me, three things. One, the grounds for this church office. Secondly, the distinction of the office. Thirdly, the blessings of the office. What are the grounds? Well, they're biblical. Starts in the Old Testament. The office or the role of Levite is a precursor to the offices of deacon and elder. The Levites of the Old Testament were called to two tasks. They had two responsibilities were given to them. One, they were to teach. They were to teach the people the law of God. They were to teach the people the word of God. So God appointed in all of these towns, there would be Levites. And those Levites were given the responsibilities, you guys teach. But they were also given the responsibility to collect the tithes. The people from that local community were responsible to bring in their tithe, their tenth of everything that they had made, that they had earned in that year, and to bring it to the Levite. The Levite then as they collected the tithe, was responsible to distribute that tithe where the needs were and to the needy. All of it? No. All that was brought in under that tithe was not all to go out. God required that out of the tithe, the Levites took a tenth of that. So they tithe out of the tithe for the care of the poor. That's the responsibilities that were given. Numbers 18.21, Numbers 18.26. Now, first of the year, hopefully I don't have to say it again, and I don't say this once again because there's an issue. Overall. In your mailboxes today is going to be a little slip. For those of you who give through the offering system of, of the boxes and so on, that little slip is going to tell you how much you gave. Do some introspection on that, would you? Did you give your tithe to the Levites, to the deacons, to this church? Because that's your responsibility. You're not called to say, well, I'm going to give it here and there, and I'm going to, I take my tithe and I do with it what I want. No, that's not the way we live. We live under the law of God. We live under the sovereignty of our king. What is the sovereignty of our king's desire? A tithe. And obviously, some are doing very well. Don't pat yourself on the back. God has given... God provided. Some of you who are watching on the video, thank you. You've been faithful. 
Even though you, you're not in church because of concerns of COVID, you send in faithfully your tithe. Some of you made me need to stop and think, did I spend more going out to eat this year than I gave to church? Did I spend more on vacations this year than I did going to church? See, the Levites in the Old Testament are the ones who collect the tithe. It becomes their responsibility what happens with it. Obviously, God didn't want it all to go out because he commanded them only take a tenth. The Levites in the towns weren't supposed to go, you know, I think the Levites have enough. I'm not going to give my tithe anymore. I'm going to do with my tithe what I want. That's unbiblical. That's unlawful. That's, that's not how we are to operate as the people of God. So we see it in the Old Testament. We see the pattern set for us with these Levites. But certainly we see it here, don't we? Acts chapter 6. Is it biblical to have deacons in your church? Absolutely. Acts chapter 6. We could follow that up, could we not, with 1 Timothy chapter 3, where we have the requirements for the office. Obviously, the New Testament is teaching us that it's biblical to have deacons. We did nothing wrong. We did nothing sinful. We did nothing apart from the Word of God. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to have deacons in the church. So it's a biblical thing, whether it's Old Testament, whether it's New Testament. But it's also because there is a need. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. As we read that form this morning, what, what responsibility is there? What responsibility kind of stands out? That God has called you to an office of deacon to minister to the poor. And the poor you always have with you. So was there a need here in Acts chapter 6? Yes, there was. We'll dig into that in a minute. But there was a need. Jesus said, we're always going to have poor. So if we're always going to have the poor, what are we always going to need? We will always need, have a need for deacons. There will never be a time in the church of Jesus Christ, until Christ comes again, that there will not be a need for this office. So there are grounds. Biblical grounds and grounds of need. In the same way that the apostles took note of the need that was present in Acts chapter 6, so we today take note of the fact that there are poor that need to be cared for. We need deacons. Secondly, though, let's deal with the distinction of these two offices. In the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, we have two offices, elder and deacon. Some might say, well, you know, I think that elders are just a little bit more prestigious. Well, that would be an unbiblical thought too. Because the distinction is not one of honor. It's not like you're supposed to have more respect for the elder than you are to have respect for the deacon. Nor is the diaconate some sort of training ground to becoming an elder. There are many men who make great deacons, but they make lousy elders. 
And there's some men who make lousy elders, but they make fantastic deacons. Why? Because God didn't say, this one trains you to be this. If you're a good deacon, you eventually get to be an elder in the church. Because that may not be the gifts that God has distributed. But that doesn't mean it's some sort of a lesser thing. I know most of us kind of grew up with that idea, right? Most of us kind of saw that. Most of us probably remember discussions that maybe we heard from our parents, you know, when the the elders nominated some guy in his early 30s and everybody's going, kind of young, I don't think he's ever, how many times has he been a deacon and now we're making him an elder? Oh man, this is problematic. That was wrong thinking. It was a wrong view of the diaconate. It was to say, deacons are entitled to less honor. In the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and hopefully in the Church of Jesus Christ, we will not see this as some sort of lesser position. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 13, 17 reminds us When we get there in the book of Hebrews, we'll we'll dwell upon that. But that we are to give that honor and respect to all of our leaders. All those who have been appointed within the church to oversee our lives. And that qualifies deacons as well. But I think a second argument can be made biblically in that passage that I referenced a few moments ago out of Timothy where we have the qualifications. They're listed right next to each other. It's not like Paul says, oh yeah, and, and now, uh, oh, as an afterthought, let me, let me tell you about deacons too. Yeah, I better probably give you some information. He, he balances them. In fact, one might say, actually, as you read it, in some ways, the office of deacon, Paul seems in that passage to almost give some stricter requirements for the office than he does for elders think you can make the argument out of that passage of Timothy. The point is, Paul wasn't saying deacons were less. We often read this passage, right? And the apostles say in in chapter 6, you know, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. As if somehow the serving of tables was a lesser call. Notice it's things both were do- they were doing. The apostles, right? Peter, John, Matthew. The apostles are doing this work, this serving the tables. Obviously, they did not think this was some sort of fluffy thing or unnecessary thing. Obviously, they saw this as an important task. They themselves were doing it. But when the problem arises, they realize they cannot do both. They're set aside for the task of preaching the word. When it's said that we may serve tables does not reference, oh, This is sort of an unimportant thing. We can get rid of this duty. We'll find some men to do that. No. What they're saying is, this is important and it needs to be done. 
And the reason it needs to be done is because they failed at it. They were not doing the job. And they want to make sure that the job gets done. Because these widows were being overlooked. And it's too important of a work to just let go. So the distinction of the offices is not in terms of honor. That's why we, we have you in, in our form, raise your right hand, accept these men, and to say, these men are worthy of honor. It's the same language we use when we do this with an elder. These men are worthy of honor. We don't say these men as elders are worthy of more honor or a significant more honor because they're going a much more important task. This is the heartbeat of the church. But let's look for a moment from Acts chapter 6 at what the role of the deacons is. First of all, just a reminder that the Greek word that's used here simply means to serve. A deacon is a servant. A deacon is the hands, the feet, and the eyes of the church. They are the servants. They are the servers. If you want to think about it in terms of the body, think about this in terms of they are the eyes, they are the hands, and they are the feet. They are the ones who go. They are the ones who move. They are the ones who serve. They are the ones who see the needs, the concerns within the body of Christ. They are the ones who go to help, to assist. They are the hands that do the work that needs to be done. Or we could say it this way, that the work of deacons is the work of mercy in the church. See, that's the problem, right? In Acts chapter 6, there are these widows who are being overlooked. Verse 1, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews. There's a cultural issue. There's a cultural problem. We have Hellenistic widows, we have Hebrew widows, but the complaint is that the Hellenistic Widows are being overlooked. They're being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Pretty necessity of life. So they set apart deacons. Why? Because mercy needs to be shown. Turn with me in your scriptures to keep your finger here at Acts 6. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. 
Okay, I want you to see how, how sensitive, how compassionate God is to the poor, to the needy. And that we are to be people of mercy. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Go back with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 15. Verse 7, if among you one of your brothers should become poor, if any in your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care. Lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cry to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. Let somebody else deal with it. Somebody else handle it. No. And in the church we have a means to make sure that no one is overlooked. We make sure that the poor are cared for. And that's through this office that God has given to the church. A work of mercy. What does James tell us? Pure religion and undefiled is this, that what? You take care of the widow and the orphan. And to keep oneself unspotted from this world. This office is needed. So that we do not neglect that which we are called to do. Our deacons have been great deacons. Remember the, what I told you, the tithe needs to be brought in. What has to happen out of that tithe? A tithe out of that needs to go out. Well, if we just use, if we just use our general fund, our tithing fund, last year, $360,000 in the midst of a pandemic came in. Amazing what God did. Amazing the blessing that we experience. Amazing your faithfulness to the office of deacon. Out of that 360,000, over 50,000 was tithed back out. Oh, I'm not talking about the other offerings we take. No, I'm just saying out of that which was collected, biblically, you collect a tithe, what are you supposed to do with the tithe? Tithe a tenth back out. Our deacons oversaw a budget in which more than that tithe went out. We are being faithful to make sure 
through these men that the poor are being cared for. We are seeking to do Acts chapter 6. To do mercy. To do mercy. The church provides the means in this office through our tithing to that office so that they can do that which scriptures call them to do. Take care. But it's not only a a work of mercy. It's also a work of justice. Now, I don't mean the gobbledygook we're hearing today. I don't mean the, the gobbledygook your children are getting in their public education and increasingly in other areas as well, including some Christian schools. I don't mean that stuff that's being stuffed down our throats. Okay, That's not an issue of justice. But we don't throw the issue away. We don't say we're not people who are concerned with justice. Of course we are. And that mantle, that responsibility of justice falls upon the shoulders of deacons. Because, you see, this isn't only a work of mercy, is it? It's a work of justice. Something unfair is happening in Acts chapter 6. Some people are being neglected. Some people are being overlooked. They are due their portion of food. They are due their care, but they're not receiving it. Now, to give and make sure that happens is mercy. But to see it, To see it and to deal with it becomes an issue of justice. Our deacons are are to have the eyes of justice that looks out upon our congregation, that looks out upon our denomination, that looks out upon the church world and says, is justice being done? Is the right thing happening? Are we applying the standard of justice in our care of those who are in need? Is that happening? Is that taking place? It's not a responsibility of the elders of the church. That's a responsibility of the deacons of the church to make sure biblical justice True justice, justice of love, justice of compassion. Let me give you three passages to look up at home. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. Isaiah 10, 1 through 4. Proverbs 22, 22 and 23. God desires... That is, church, be a place of justice, of fairness, of righteousness, biblically speaking. We don't borrow from the world and seek to inject the world's view and the world's philosophy. Remember who controls the world's philosophy. A great red dragon. Who controls our understanding of justice. God's word, God's truth. This becomes our standard that the deacons apply in this work 
to when they look out, not only upon our congregation, our denomination, the church world, but they look out into our society and say, where do we need to take action? Where does justice need to be served? Becomes the role and responsibility of the deacons. That's why they were appointed to work justice. To equip you and I as believers in Jesus Christ to do that which we are called to do. To keep before us the needs that are present. To keep before us the issues of justice we need to be concerned about. To keep before us those who need help, those who need assistance. It becomes their responsibility to equip us so that we might be faithful in our role, in our responsibilities to be that believer and to fulfill our office as a believer in Jesus Christ. The role of elders... We're not ordaining and installing an elder this morning, so I'll be brief. The role of elders? Well, if the deacons are the eyes, the hands, and the feet of the church, then the elders of the church are the mouthpiece of the church. They're the ones who speak the word. Their goal, their responsibility, their duty is to guard the truth. Their duty, their responsibility is to teach the truth and to make sure that the truth is taught. Their duty, their responsibility is the discipline of the church. Two, in a sense, completely different offices. And when the eyes and the hands and the mouth tried, or, and the feet tried to be the mouth, it's not going to look pretty. And when the mouth tries to be the eyes, the hands, and the feet, it's going to not be pretty. God has given to each of us our assigned responsibilities. But I want to conclude by looking at the blessings. And you see, the blessing is verse 7. What happened? They, they have deacons. They now have those who teach. We're going to be called elders. What happened? Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and the great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Three things. These are the blessings of the church offices. When you have fully functioning elders and deacons, this is what happens. God is glorified. God is glorified. The word of the Lord continued to increase. What happens when the word of the Lord increases? God is glorified. God is lifted up above all things, two things, his name and his word. When the word of God is glorified, when the word of God is held up, God is glorified. What happened here? Well, we had a situation. Either mercy is going to be overlooked or the word is going to be overlooked. They have now two offices. What happens? God's glorified. Because the word increased. The 
Sometimes perhaps deacons feel that their role, their responsibility is a maintenance issue. Let me put it this way, brothers. Without the maintenance, the word could not be done. It is the maintenance that is the foundation that gave the apostles the time to preach the word. If we take away the office, there will be less time for the word. And the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ will be neglected and overlooked. Secondly, it is a means of growing in the Lord. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Number of disciples, those who are taking in the word. How are they able to do so? Because we have a fully functioning body of deacons, And we have fully functioning elders. What happened? Individual lives were strengthened. Not only is God glorified, individual believers are strengthened. They are encouraged. They see the work of mercy. They see the work of justice being done. And it it encouraged them. They see deacons who are seeking to come alongside of them and to equip them. To fulfill their office of believer. And it deepens. But I want you to note the third thing. Because I would often think that deacons might feel, well, we're really not the mission arm of the church. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look at that last phrase. And a great many priests joined. The church. Now think about that. Why did many priests join? What happened? If you go back, especially through the book of Matthew, what you're going to find is this. That in the Jewish religion of that day and in the Jewish practice of that day, the poor were neglected and the poor were overlooked. You know what happens? These priests, Look at the church, and they say, these people are serious. They're not neglecting the poor. Maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's something to this Jesus. Want to see the church grow and expand? happens through the work of deacons in the church. Many see that my friends, we're going to be under a microscope. We're going to be under a microscope. What are they going to see? This morning, this morning we said, We want them to see love and mercy, care and compassion. We want to 
have this world see the love of Jesus Christ on display. And so we set apart, we call, we ordained, we install deacons. Let us thank God that he gives to us such a beautiful office by which we might glorify the Lord. And God's people say, Father, thank you. Thank you. Maybe we've never thought much about this office. Maybe we've never reflected much upon it. But Lord, hopefully as we've looked at your word this morning and thought about it, reflected upon it, read it, that Lord, it, it, it comes to our minds how important an office this is. Lord, I pray, I pray for our deacons. I pray for the men who are now serving. Lord, that you would bless them in their work and in their labor. This is, this is, this is no easy task. And it will become an increasingly difficult task. And we pray. We pray for these men. We pray for their wives. We pray for their families. We pray for us. That we too might fulfill faithfully our office as believer. That we might, Father, be faithful in the calling you have placed upon us. And that above all, that above all, through the work of deacons, through the work of elders, through the work of the office of believers, that the gospel, the true, the pure gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ might sound forth from this place, from this little corner, that from this place throughout this community, throughout our county, state, nation, and indeed throughout the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ might be seen, lived, and proclaimed for your glory. And God's people say, Amen.